Hello, Horror Fanatics. I'm Frank. And I'm Jen, and we welcome you to our weekly podcast, Oh! The the Horror. Horror. Thank you for joining us as we dive deep into all things horror, supernatural, scary, and downright creepy. If you like what you hear, rate, review, and subscribe, or follow, or whatever the new thing is, to add us to your regular rotation of podcasts. You can also submit any ideas, comments, and suggestions to our email address at oth at seriouslydecent.com, and you can connect to our social media links and our back catalog yeah yeah all that stuff we've done mm-hmm. 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 and um that can be found and be had at oh the horror podcast.com sure can yeah sure can you can do all those things yeah we were talking during test yes and we figured we'd bring it up here some some stuff to talk about well what initiated it was yeah. the Dahmer meme Yes, for five guys. Yeah, that this doesn't taste like there's five guys in here. Yeah. And that's when I interjected mm-hmm. that there's a rumor or lore that he wouldn't eat the flesh of tattooed people because it made the meat taste off. Mmm. Yeah. You know, I did hear something about that. Mm-hmm. And I think. So you want to protect yourself from cannibals? Tattoos. Get tatted up. Yeah. I guess that's the moral of that story. Well, that's Jeffrey Dahmer. Yeah. There was also a weird thing where um, people were getting tattoos of like Jeffrey Dahmer and uh, Ted Bundy. This chick right here. I don't get tattoos. I I like tattoos. I, I get tattoos. No, I get it, but like I don't get that. But there's a line. Yeah. And and why would you immortalize someone like that? I bet she also writes to inmates that are incarcerated and, you know, because they're just you know, they're they're innocent. Well, and she's a really pretty girl. She's she beautiful. She really is. She's and beautiful. If I'm being and, honest, the tattoos are also very well done, but Oh no, I'm not gonna not to, you know, she said two thousand dollars she uh, paid for these. Yeah, but this was um, again the question is why? And this was December sixteenth, twenty twenty one. You don't have a deceased family member that you could memorialize and immortalize on yourself in ink? You yeah, gotta but I'm go just thinking for like, like say I meet her at a club. She's wearing jeans. You know, we hit it off. Go back to her place or my place. Get involved. Mm-hmm. And then I see that. Try to think of what I'm trying to make of that. All right. Well, let me throw this scenario at you. If I meet up with some dude. Mm-hmm. Good looking guy. Yeah. Whatever. And I see a bunch of like serial killer chicks tatted on that guy. I'd be like, "Mm, yeah, and we're done here. I don't care if we're both standing there naked. Yeah. Be like, um, I gotta go. Well, and she, she said that, um, 
She has the serial killer tattoos because she is fascinated about what makes them kill. You can be fascinated about it. You don't put it on your person. I know. That's crazy. Do you know what that projects onto other people? Especially knowing what those two men specifically did. Yeah. Do you not understand what? Yeah. Clearly she doesn't. No, not at all. Oh, my God. They're just. They're so interesting. Yeah. (laughs) And it's like, bitch, don't. Do you not get this? It's crazy. Do you not know? Man, people do. People do some freaking things. Weird, weird things. Yeah. And it never ceases to amaze me. No. I mean, a lot of times I'll look and be like, yeah, no, I see it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I. There are times where, but I see stuff like that. You're like, yeah, okay, I I can put the pieces of that puzzle together. But that, yeah, that that and and I'll never understand. Someone could sit me down and clinically go through the whole thing. I don't get the people that write to people and fall in love with people that are in prison. Yes, like they actually seek them out. Like there's a like the mother of several daughters who is writing and is love and is in love with a pedophile. Yeah. You don't see any problem there. What and what really gets me is, is there's a father there that's losing his mind. Yes. Like just absolutely losing his mind. I'm going to be so bold that if you're a woman and you are, separated or even if you're not mm-hmm. if you're pulling that shit where you're writing to some dude in prison and you're falling in love with this dude in prison one what the fuck <laughs> two your husband should automatically get your children you would you think, no longer you would think but have the right yeah to in Inject your stupidity onto your children and directly put them in harm's way. The number of times women have written to convicts and the convicts have gotten out of jail and they've quote unquote talked these women into doing things that they never would have done. Mm. They're like, I don't understand. And it's like, really? Yeah. What what did you what did you miss in all of that? <laughs> the fact that they were behind bars, you didn't think for a second that that person would lie to you? Yeah, you see that's the thing though is like I don't I don't seek to protect people out like that. No. I, that's where really I mean as as a Christian background that I have mm-hmm. and 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 that bit. But there is the darwinist in me that I I really think just in general, and I, uh, people say this as a joke and comedically, but I really think the Nerf bars need to be taken off. Yes. For a while. Yeah. And and just let maybe a few less safety warnings and and let yeah, some, just cut it all out shit and get sorted out. And it'll get sorted out. Yep. It'll get so like the person that writes to that person in prison. Yeah, I don't want and, them on Team Humanity. <laughs> well, no, I don't. I don't it's think- not. It's not that. It's just. I don't think this is where I hate the word, the system. Like you shouldn't even just have a system. 
There shouldn't be a system to protect that person. Or, you know, like, there's mm-hmm. people that genuinely have trouble. Yes. And they need help. Yes. And I'm all about the system for that. Yes. But we're say the system, quote unquote, is supposed to take care of this person, that person. Right. Like yeah. you start granularly toppling it out. And then, yeah, I remember uh, listening to something where this uh, this woman was talking about it and like the host was like, oh, well, yeah, you know, there should be something there to help you and all that. It's like, no, you, you don't know. If you can't figure that out, yeah, I don't know what's going to help you. Make better choices. No, but I get where people are unable to make good choices, either from a just a weird background or whatever. And that's where I can't even say like a weird background's the problem because there's people that come from weird backgrounds that have their shit together. And yeah. they're like, yeah, you know what? Yeah. I don't want that oh, in my I life again. You, I guarantee you, Betsy, don't... who's sitting at home writing to the convict, she had a perfectly normal upbringing. Or and not. And she sees nothing wrong with what she's doing. Yeah. I think... I think people that do that, though, that take those extra high risks are protected a bit or have been protected. I I just think that way. I think somehow along the line, they haven't got stung enough. They've probably never been stung. So they're just like, oh, my God, everybody's so great. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, just the, the trust in all people. Yeah. No, you know that, that blatant trust, trust and I don't trust any people. I want to trust everyone. I, I I will say that I I would I wanna, like to, but I know that yeah, I can't. I want to trust everyone, yes. but I know deep down I can't. Exactly. And yes. So there, that's where people have to be in this guarded sense. Yeah. You know, but mm-hmm. I just oh yeah, I hear those stories of like uh, you know, country person goes into the city and just you know yeah gets destroyed. It's like yeah how. How, how did else, you think that was going to play else out? How did you think that was going to play out? You know, yeah. I mean, it's a, just a whole different environment. Speaking of you country. Know. Yeah. Today's uh, topic. Yeah, are we going to get into. Come from more country. <laughs> so we're going to get into episode 84. Yes, we are. And uh, first, I want to give a shout out to everyone that's been checking us out. Yeah. Because hey, we got thanks. a lot of growth this month. Yes. And what's nice is it's uh, it, it appears to be organic growth. So nice. Thank you so much, everybody, for, for tuning you. in. Thank you, yes. And, uh, yeah, today we're doing Robert Johnson. Bobby Joe. Bobby Joe, you've been saying for two weeks. Yeah, I've, I've decided um, I like that. You yeah. know, he does come from Mississippi, mm-hmm. and Bobby Joe just seems right. <laughs> you know? What do you got for sources? Oddly enough, really? Britannica.com, wow. Robert Johnson, Weird. American musician, yeah. Wonderopolis, yeah. Uh, .org. What happened to Bobby Joe or Robert Johnson <laughs> at the crossroads? Nationalbluesmuseum.org, Stories of the Crossroads, Blues Myths. Did Robert Johnson really sell his soul to the devil? Mm. NewYorkTimes.com, Obituaries, Robert Johnson. Yeah. Yep. What you got? Uh, AmericanBluesScene.com, TeachRock.org. I did dabble in a little Britannica. I mean, it is a great source, isn't it? Yeah. And then there was a bunch of really just sporadic links. I I just didn't even record them. I did come across a book, uh, Brother Robert, written by one of his family members. It's uh, not a brother. It's a... uh, A sister. 
sister. A sister. It? Yeah. It, it was it was a female member. Mm-hmm. So sister, aunt, niece, somebody. Someone. Yep. Yep. So. So you want to run with this, huh? I will run with this. Okay. We will. Start from the beginning. <laughs> Every time I hear the beginning. All I can think of is Princess Bride. Yeah. Here we are, back at the beginning. (laughs) Here I am, Vicini. You surely are a meanie. (laughs) Robert Johnson, he was born sometime Mm -hmm. in 1911 in Hazelhurst, Mississippi, in the U.S. of A. And he died, oddly enough, they know this, August 16th, 1938, pretty much almost down to the... near Greenwood, Mississippi. He was an American blues composer, guitarist, and singer whose eerie falsetto singing voice and masterful rhythmic slide guitar influenced both his contemporaries and many later blues and rock musicians. His mother was Julia Major Dodds. She was the daughter of slaves who had 10 children with her husband, Charles Dodds before conceiving another with a field hand named Noah Johnson. Little is known of his biological father, Mr. Noah Johnson. They settled briefly in Memphis, Tennessee, and there is a suggestion that um, Dodd's surname was changed to Spencer. Yeah. When Robert was around seven, his mother married another man, Dusty Willis, And he moved with her to Robinsonville, Mississippi. It was there in the town's popular juke joints, segregated stores or private houses that doubled after hours as recreational places that his now legendary music career began. There, Johnson learned to play the juice harp and harmonica before taking up the guitar. In 1929, he married 16-year-old Virginia Travis, whose death and childbirth, along with that of their baby, in April 1930, devastated Johnson. In Robinsonville, he came in contact with masters of the Mississippi Delta Blues, Willie Brown, Charlie Patton, and Sun House, all of whom influenced his playing and none of whom was particularly impressed by his talent. Sun House, a talented blues musician, once told Johnson, Put that guitar down. You driving people nuts. However, Robert Johnson did not put the guitar down. He kept practicing, but no matter how hard he tried, he didn't seem to improve. Then one day, Johnson disappeared. No one was sure where he was, and for about six months, the Mississippi Delta was free from the rabbit, uh, from the racket of Robert Johnson's music. That's where the legend of Robert Johnson and the Crossroads begins. Yeah. People say Robert Johnson went out one night to the crossroads of highways 49 and 61. Other sources cite the corner of Highway 81 in the Mississippi Delta. Legend says he stood at the crossroads for a long time. At exactly midnight, a large man dressed in black appeared. Those who believe the legend say the man in black was the devil. Robert Johnson begged the devil to make him a talented musician. The devil agreed on one condition. The devil promised to make Robert Johnson the greatest blues musician in the world in return for Johnson's soul. With little thought, Robert Johnson agreed. And the deal was, you got eight years. Yeah. So this is where the whole crossroads deals and deals with the devil. 
That's where it all this started. This is where it all starts. Well, it's pretty crazy if you think about it. It actually, it actually has been around for quite some time. Yeah. So let's get into it. This crossroads and deals with the devils occurs throughout history. Think Faust and his deal with the devil. Mm -hmm. Crossroad deals are also referenced in Supernatural. So much so, they have their own demons. The crossroad demons. They're the demons tasked with, quote unquote, buying souls for hell through deals with humans. These deals consist of the demon granting the human's wish in exchange for ownership over that person's soul, resulting in the person dying and going to hell to be transformed into a demon upon death. Crossroad demons are named as such because they, in particular, can be summoned at crossroads by humans seeking to make deals. Some of the practices for crossroad deals include standing at the crossroads until midnight, at which time the black figure appears and grants your request, Others include actually burying something at the crossroads mm-hmm. to make said deal or to summon said demon to yeah. make said deal. Yeah. And some deals only grant your wish for a period of time, as referenced, eight years is primarily quoted. Mm-hmm. And others have no time limit. But in either case, your soul at death belongs to the devil. I think it was cool in Supernatural how they had it as a form of like currency. Like the yes. crossroads demon yes. was trying to get like a hundred souls or something like yes. that. Yep. And like after a hundred souls, they were in. Correct. You know, on like the yeah, inside. Yeah, they moved up in the hierarchy. Yeah, in the inside of uh, of hell and whatever hierarchy or you Fun know fact, structure. Crowley started at a, as a crossroads exactly. demon. Exactly, yeah. And he liked yeah. to seal his deals with a kiss. Yeah. I don't know if every crossroad demon does that. So here's the thing. Yes. If you were at the crossroads mm-hmm. and a figure in a black hat comes, what would be what would be your thing that you would sell your soul for? Or would you? I mean the right answer is no. But let's just say theoretically. I don't know that I want anything. Is there like a talent or a skill that you would want like to be advanced level of remembered forever, like timeless, but it's, you know, it's going to cost you eight years. Well, I only have eight years to do said thing. And then my soul No, like you walk away from that crossroads and you're guaranteed eight years of like, just Woo! being known forever yeah. for known for whatever that thing whatever is. Whatever that yeah. thing is. Yeah. I don't like anything enough. No. No. I Do was, you? I was thinking about it during the week. I never really came around to something solid that uh like I'd want to be known for, right. famous for, infamous. Cause again, like I say it all the time, I never want to be famous. No. I don't get the. I'm uh, really happy being mediocre at best. <laughs> <laughs> I feel uh, like the expectations are far lower when you're mediocre. Or but just when ex- you're at such a high accepted, level, yeah. I, I don't. I don't want that kind. I wouldn't want that kind of. Pr- I wouldn't want that life. Yeah, there's a lot of pressure to it. You know, because once you get good at something, then that becomes like the baseline. 
But even and if it's the expectation every time your wish is for something amazing, like you just want to be like the scientist that makes the advancement in insert whatever mm-hmm. new thing is. Yeah. And you are legitimately part of something that will change ultimately humanity. not only change people's lives, but yeah, change humanity. Yeah. I, I wouldn't want that. I I wouldn't want that kind of pressure because at the end of the day, okay, it's not really you. Mm -hmm. You didn't do it. Yeah, it was this gift from somewhere else. Yes. It's not even an authentic gift. It's a good point. So it's not, it wouldn't be you saving humanity. It would be the devil. Yeah, because that's the thing. I yeah. forgot to add that. Everybody knows that you made that deal. You know, so yeah, that's... especially because they're going to be like, who's this Betsy chick coming in out of nowhere? <clears throat> she wasn't in any of these classes. Yeah. Now, all of a sudden, she can do cold fusion? <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> you know, I mean, it would be very suspect. I mean, how do you... How do She's you play the one who came up with Pervasic, you know. <laughs> you messed with the sample so you could have your Pervasic. <laughs> so yeah, no, I I don't. There's nothing. I no. Yeah. Yeah. There's there's nothing I want. All right, so. Okay. No, I admire it. <laughs> I'll, hey, I'll keep you closer. <laughs> yeah. You're happy with my this mediocrity? Because I'm pretty happy this with... It's the equivalent of, like, I'm glad I didn't hear some sort of long, drawn-out thing. They were, that's what I want. <laughs> you know, and then you and then you, you pull your, your, je- your sweatpants up, and then I see two tattoos of two serial killers that you paid two yeah, grand for. Yeah, no. Be like, yeah, folks, and then we're done with all the horror permanently. Yeah. Uh-huh. I'm going to have to find a new co-host. So <laughs> after this whole six So this months, whole thing is six months he's gone. So when he reappeared in the Mississippi Delta music yeah. scene. Now, remember, they were telling him, take your, your racket out of here. Yeah. You know, give these people peace. He was notorious yeah. for going up on set, mm-hmm. in between sets. Yeah. And playing whatever he felt the people needed to hear, which most musicians were like, nobody needs to hear that. So he comes back and he's in the Mississippi Delta music scene. Mm -hmm. And now he's a talented blues musician. He could sing, he could write music and even play the guitar. In fact, when Johnson played, people swore they heard two guitars. That's a pretty interesting thing because if you were to listen to it kind of blind, you know, and not Mm -hmm. knowing anything like that, that's often, it happened with me the first time I heard it, uh, when I, when I heard him playing, um, I was exposed to Robert Johnson way, way later, didn't know anything about him. I might've heard his name kicked around, Mm -hmm. but I remember there was this box set and it was him on the front of it and it was the complete recordings Right. Robert Johnson. Yep. And uh and I remember listening to it and 
it was weird. Like you could hear, it sounded like two guitars playing. Yeah. And then you find out that he was playing by himself. Yeah. So audiences would look around searching for the second guitarist and no one ever saw said second guitarist, leading many to believe the devil himself was playing alongside Johnson. However, others believe Johnson was somehow able to make his one guitar sound like two. So although Robert Johnson is credited with being the first musician to bargain with the devil, it actually began with Tommy Johnson, a musician with no relation to Robert Johnson. A relative of Tommy's recalls his stories as such. Quote, you go to where a road crosses that way, where a crossroads is. Get there. Be sure to get there just a little for 12 midnight that night so you'll know you'll be there. You have your guitar, and you be playing a piece there by yourself. A big black man will walk up there, take your guitar, and he'll tune it. And then he'll play a piece and hand it back to you. That's the way I learn to play anything I want, end quote. The only difference between Robert Johnson's story and Tommy Johnson's accounts was the age at which they died. After a career that lasted him over five years, Robert Johnson died at the age of 27, whereas Tommy lived well into his 60s. They were, so everyone in the Mississippi Delta is dazzled by his musical ability and his two guitar sounding music. However, when he returned to town after spending as much as a year away, that time away is central to Johnson's mythic status. According to legend, during that period, Johnson either made a deal with Satan at a crossroads, which, let's be honest, probably did not happen, mm-hmm. or as his music historian Robert Palmer, in his highly regarded book Deep Blues 1981, instead ascribes Robert Johnson's remarkable musical attainments to the time he had to hone his skills as a guitarist under the instruction of Ike Zinnemann, sometimes spelled Zimmerman, as a result of the financial support he received from the older woman he married near Hazelhurst, Mississippi, Johnson's birthplace, Coletta Craft, and to the wide variety of music to which he was exposed during his hiatus from Robinsonville, including the single string picking styles of Lonnie Johnson and Scrapper Blackwell. So this dude sat down with this guy and was like, show me your ways. Yeah. Which I think is, I mean, if he was playing under this guy's tutelage for mm-hmm. six months. I, it's either, either he found somebody or he just sat down and figured it out. You got to think of the time period. Mm-hmm. Because if you disappeared for six months full time and that's all you did. Yeah. You just eat, sleep, shit, play guitar. Right. You're going to get good at it. Yeah. And it's really just anything that you do. Yeah, he put in the time. He put in the work. I'm not saying I'm a master at guitar, but look at me just kind of picking around and whittling and noodling, which is really what I do. No formal lessons. No, no, no. But, I mean, you went from, well, let's be honest, making sounds yeah. out of your guitar no, to, how it works. to stuff that actually resembles songs. Yeah. So I can tell when you're working on a song. And usually, right about the time I'm like, hey, I really like that, you switch to something else. Yeah. 
<laughs> but what I'm getting at is, yeah. is that's just a couple of years of mm-hmm. noodling. Yes. Where if I actually sat and dedicated six months to it all day. Yes. Every day. Yes. I'm going to be a good guitar player. And if not, at the end of six I would months. take the guitar away and I would say, we need maybe to move we on. should try something else. <laughs> you gave it the time. You gave it your yeah. best shot. No, and that's where I think the whole crossroads bit. It, you still see it to this day, but it's not the crossroads anymore. It's people that sit there and say, oh, I wish I had talent like that. Yeah. And it drives me nuts. Yeah as a musician. Cause like I started on drums and like my parents, especially my mother need like the award of a lifetime Yes, to have someone like me. Parents of drummers. Drummers. Yeah. Very special people. They're saints. Yes. They're literally saints. Yes. Cause there's nothing quiet about drums. No. And now like it's cool. There's nothing subtle. Now it's cool. Cause you got electric kits, which Correct. aren't as noisy. They're right. still noisy, but not it's as noisy. Different. You go from the actual, all of the sounds that a drum kit makes yeah. to when you play the electric tap, kit, tap, tap, it's tappity, 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 tap. Yeah. No, it's like a practice pad set, but even yeah. quieter than a practice pad. Yeah. But yeah, like I remember I would play for hours mm-hmm. a day mm-hmm. and she was just, yeah, that's probably it's probably, it's probably why, why she, she drank. This is probably why she started <laughs> drinking now that I think about it. Yeah. My yeah. head's going to pound anyway. No, but I mean, <laughs> even that, like, I just remember how cool it was because I'd walk out and she'd be like, that sounded really good. Yes. You know, or that sounded really nice, you know. Um, other times, like, I'd be working on things and that's where I look back. It's like, holy cow. I mean, like, I just sit there and, like, do paradiddles and paradiddles and like just these double bounce, you know, single stroke rolls, double rolls and just that for ever, you know? And, and that's where, yeah, I do look back and it's like, holy cow. I mean, what a, what a massive amount of patience or whatever the mother gene is there is, was just huge. Yeah. And then you look at other parents, like, oh, the ones that raise a kid playing the clarinet. Holy cow. The clarinet is the worst sounding instrument next to the violin. Violin. I think they're equals. Yeah. When someone's practicing that at a beginner level, that is literally noise. When I was a a nanny, the oldest child uh, in New Hartford, everybody... In a specific grade, I think it's like second grade or yeah. something. Everybody does the violin. Yeah, that's how we were. Yeah, in elementary. And school. they do that for a year, and then after that, they can decide whether or not it's either a year or two years, and then they can yeah. decide if they want to stick with the violin or if they want to try another instrument. Do something else, yeah. And she opted for the clarinet. Oh, yeah. Back to back. Oh, God. It was, and I I remember sitting the mother down because I knew she was reachable. Yeah. And I said, <laughs> I get this. Yeah. I get that you want her to try this. Mm-hmm. I said, but. The only way she's going to get good is to actually practice. And she doesn't want to practice. She doesn't want to put in the time. What she does want to do and what she does do really well is art. 
Can we encourage that <laughs> instead of this? Because I think it's a waste of her time. She's putting her time and energy yeah. begrudgingly yeah, into yeah, something. Yeah, no, you have to have a passion with it. And hmm. she just didn't. Yeah. She didn't want to... Because, I mean, you have to practice. No, and that's what defines with it. And that's where I sit there and people are, oh, I wish I had that kind of talent. It's like, no, actually what you need to wish for is that you have that type of dedication. Yes. And the ability to just stay on it. Now, mind you. For a long time. They had a grand piano. Yeah. Just sitting there. Yeah. And it's like, you got. Yeah. Right there. That's a, yeah, that's a whole different thing. But You could, if but you it's wanted to and, play something or try something, mm-hmm. because then, like, they don't have to rent it. That it's, it's right there. Yeah. You can try. If you like it, great. If not, you can move no, on. No, piano is actually a cool thing to start on. It's relatively simple and idea, but can become, obviously, extremely complex. Yes, yes. Uh, but... And it doesn't sound like a dying animal. But there's a, a level of talent there. Mm-hmm. I say talent is mostly ear or rhythm or both. Mm-hmm. Uh, if your ear can kind of match things up and you can connect things pretty quickly with your ear, that's a that's the talent end of it. Mm-hmm. The rhythm part of it is a a talent bit of it as well. But it can be taught to a certain degree. It uh, was it was funny because as all of this is going on, I think she was in fourth grade. And this is when she wasn't. I don't know if she was still playing clarinet or if she had or just carried it back and forth mm-hmm. when she was supposed to to school, which is what it mostly was, was just carrying it back and forth. I'm like, you're just you just made one more thing that you have to carry. And then the <laughs> sounds, it's one more thing that you're going to forget. That sounds like, uh, you know, someone of mediocre standing i mean (laughs) as a mediocre person i would be like i'm not gonna put myself out to carry more than i have to (laughs) especially if i'm not really that jazzed about it yeah yeah. i mean i think she was she was super into the idea of it yeah but i don't think she understood that you can't just Walk up to an instrument and mm-hmm. play it, unless a, you're a virtuoso. No, and that's how it works. Well, no, and even the virtuosos, like they put time into it, right? You know, I mean, they'll just sit there, like uh, Steve Vai for guitar, mm-hmm. great example. They call him a virtuoso, and he is. I mean, there's no denying it. He's insane about it, mm-hmm. but he's got a scale thing, a scale exercise. It's the ten hour scale practice session. Yeah, where he does scales for ten hours yeah so you know how long you have to be playing with your instrument to realize that you came up with a practice thing and it's 10 hours long Hmm. like it's just it's it's crazy and and that's the level of commitment that people don't understand and it it really is it's a commitment it's a commitment forever into this and then what it is is it's your life it becomes part of your Mm -hmm. life like like drums for me, I can go, you know, there's some drummers that can't go a day without playing drums right? or yeah. a musician that can't go a, a day. But me, like I have to have it here. Yes. Like I, I, if you were to take this out of here, I would get full of anxiety. Mm-hmm. I would get nervous. 
even if I didn't play it for 30 days, like it just has to be sitting there. Yeah. And there's times I'll just sit there and I'm on the phone and I'll just do some rudiments or something like that on Mm -hmm. it. And then I walk away from it. That's all I need. But I I need to know it's there. Right. So that's what. You need to be able to scratch that That's what people don't understand about like this connection with an instrument. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, people think, oh, it's just a talent or it's just, uh, um, you know, it's a, it's a gift from God or, mm-hmm. and that, you know, can be debated till whenever, but for someone that's in that, it's like the idea of not having it doesn't exist. Right. Yeah. It just doesn't exist. Yes. Um, like John Mayer, I guarantee if you took all of his guitars out yeah. of his house, amps, pedals, everything, anything that remotely looked like something that had to do with guitar. That dude would lose his mind. Yeah. He would yeah. lose his mind immediately. Yeah. And like Jimi Hendrix was the same looking at those old like videos and stuff and old photographs. Dude didn't, had a guitar on him all the time. Didn't he take a lesson from So what Jimi Hendrix used to do is while he was traveling or on tour, right, every yeah. place he went to, he would go and take a lesson at like a music store. Right. Yeah. Which I mean Think about that for half a second. Yeah. Like you're just sitting there going to work at the music store. It's another day. Right. Yeah. And and you're sitting there and somebody's playing fucking smoke on the water or mm-hmm. something like that. You know, checking dun, that dun, dun, checking dun, that guitar dun, or bass dun, dun. that they're never going to buy, <laughs> yeah. but they come in like once a week just to play it because someday they're going to get yeah. it, you know. And then all of a sudden, Jimi Hendrix comes walking through the door and is like, I'd like to do a guitar lesson. Right. And they're just like, are you kidding me? Like, and what he what? would do is just say, uh, just play play something. And mm-hmm. his goal was was to just learn something new. Right. Something yeah. that he never even thought of before. Mm-hmm. And and that's, uh, you know, that's that, like, commitment mm-hmm. to just going in a direction with an instrument that I remember at times even with drums, like, I'd sit there and I'd get stuck in a rut and then I'd watch like somebody like a friend or somebody just playing. I'd look and how the fuck did you play that? Break it down, you yeah. know? And that's all you need is just that little kick, that yep. little shove in a direction. And then like you do that and then uh, it just opens up doors to right. all these all other, these other avenues. Yeah. And, and that's where like the crossroads bit. Yeah. It's either he did lessons or he just sat and cracked the code. Right. And yeah. figured it yeah. out. And with his style and the way he was doing things, I think he just went away and said, you know what? Everybody's getting on my shit right. about doing this. Mm-hmm. I've got all this negativity around me on this. Mm-hmm. But he has that connection where it's like, I can't stop doing this. Right. Yep. So I'm going to go somewhere and I'm just going to do this alone. Mm-hmm. And It's possible. Yeah. And went and did it alone. Or maybe he just went to a different town to where nobody gave him shit about it. You know, right, yeah. or something like that. And and six months of just straight playing. Yeah. Or probably a combination of it. Yeah. Got some, you know, bumped into other musicians and showed some things. And yeah, it, it's it's definitely doable. I think if you were to commit six months full time. So you don't think he sold his soul to no. Satan at the crossroads? No, I think that's a mix of things, uh, even from himself, I would think. Uh, I'll get into it more. Yeah. As to where they came up with that. Yeah, we can we can go yeah. with that later. Let's continue with the uh Well, I'd like to finish my thought with uh yeah. the girl that didn't really oh, play yeah. the yeah. the clarinet. Yeah. All of the kids there 
it was rich suburbs, cul-de-sac. Mm-hmm. So all the kids are playing. And one of the kids happened to be able to play the piano and came in and played their grand piano. And I turned to the child, mm-hmm. with the clarinet, and said, watch, please. And I said to the person playing the piano, that was beautiful. That was absolutely beautiful. How long have you been playing? Oh, I've been taking lessons for two or three years. Yeah. I go, and, and how much do you practice? Oh, I practice every day. Yeah, yeah. You get that clarinet? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, you want to sound like that, you got to do that. Yeah, and that's to, to kind of follow, you know, finish it up. That's my problem when parents will sit there and tell their kids they can do anything. You yeah. know, no. I... You know Cause what? here's the thing I am, I, I get myself and there's a few of my friends where kind of, uh, I don't want to say Jack of all trades, master of them all, but we can kind of put ourselves into situations and do pretty well, like mm-hmm. average, mm-hmm. you know, to them, but to be great at something, you got to pick something and you got to stick with it. Right. Um, you can pick a few things and be good at it, but I mean, like, Look at professional golfers. Look at professional athletes, just period, mm-hmm. and and musicians. Like, it's a devotion for a long time. Mm-hmm. And uh, was it Malcolm Gladwell says that thing where it's uh, uh, to be a master is something you got to do it for, what is it, 10 years or eight years or something I don't know, like I'm mediocre at best. <laughs> so in mediocrity... You do what you can do, <laughs> and you keep on doing it, and you can try a little, maybe get a little bit better, <laughs> but you're never going to be great, so as long as you're okay with, you're never going to be great, everything's great. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm I'm happy. <laughs> yeah. There's, there's people that can definitely hop on something, and they just... They they're at a different level, yeah. Just like automatically, but there is ceilings for even them mm-hmm. to where they mm-hmm. they hit. But it's just I've always been one of those people where I never could like naturally do something like I have to like even golf. I could take time. I'd take the winter off and golf in the spring. I feel like I'm golfing. I'm learning to golf all over again. Right. Yeah. I don't have that muscle memory where like my two buddies. They could pick up a club and, you know, oh, yeah, no, shot a 82. Mm-hmm. I haven't touched clubs in, you know, eight months, 10 mm-hmm. months. You know, I'm not like that at all. I have to be on it. I have to be consistently doing it into it, and I can do well, but I can't just. You wait. know what the takeaway is? You just resign yourself to your mediocrity. Mediocrity. <laughs> you don't have to worry about yeah, it. Yeah, <laughs> my problem is, though, and that's what makes, I think, you and I like a weird couple in a, in a sense. Because you are okay with the just, yeah. yeah, no, this is what I do. Where me, <laughs> yeah, I I just can't stop there. I can't. Yeah. And no. I know, like, you're a good. This is the best it's going to be. <laughs> Probably should have said that to you before we got married. <laughs> this is it. <laughs> no, but it's just like for me, I, yeah, I get into things. I get way into them. And sometimes you get 
too into them. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, I stop eating. Yes. I won't sleep. Yes. It's it's like full-on committal to yes. something. You know. Some would say obsession. Oh, no, I would agree. Yeah. I get very obsessed over things. Yeah, I don't have that. Ideas, uh, tasks. I think I figured something out here. Yeah. If you just embrace the mediocrity... I bet you can you can power down too. So I could obsess. I need to obsess over mediocrity. No, <laughs> obsess should just or obsession should just be like a perfume yeah. or a word. Yeah. Like it to quote a guy you worked with. Don't let it rent that space in your mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll see about that. I mean, it's been working out pretty good for me. Well, <laughs> here's the thing, though. Obsession got this podcast going. It did. Because I had to figure all this crap out. Yeah. Because I know you wouldn't. No. Just being honest. No. I, <laughs> I would I would try to a point, and then I'd be like, oh, uh, you know so what? hard. You know, you know what? what? I can just read the books. I can, yeah, I can just read the books and not talk about it. I'll just, I'll just read the books. I'll just read the books and not talk. I'll just talk I'll about. I'll find somebody I'll I can talk to. I'll find somebody that'll listen to me talk. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, where were we? This podcast is not painting me in a good light. It is, actually. <laughs> No, because here's here's where I'll prove you wrong with your your assumed mediocrity, and then I promise the listeners we'll get to the point of the actual topic with Robert Johnson. I think this is going to be my no, book. Where you obsess is reading a book. Yeah. The moment you start a book, you're yeah. into. Yep. You are unreachable. Yeah. No. You, you are can't. literally unreachable. Please don't talk to me. Yeah. Please don't even look at me when I'm reading a book. No. Because I'm in. Yeah. I'm in. Yeah. Want to know why? Because when I was a kid growing up, unless it was the summer and it was summer vacation, I was up by myself, <laughs> and all I had were books. Yeah. So that was my. That was my escape. Like, we didn't have movies at the time. We didn't mm -hmm. have cable. Ha! Yeah. We barely had three channels. We had a couple of them that came in okay. Mm -hmm. And books. Books were my world. See, this is where I think TV is ultimately the... The devil. Well, no, I think TV is the ruin of humanity. I think so. I, I say it with the greatest sincerity possible. Mm -hmm. There are cool movies, there are cool shows, yeah, and they're not based on books or whatever. I mean, right. honestly, they're all based on a screenplay or a form of writing. Right, yes. I mean, that's like the root of it. Mm -hmm. Like it all starts at the written word. Yeah. And never you don't just film a movie and Right, yeah. I mean, there's the whole uh um improv and yeah. all that stuff, but but you know, I I think Humanity will suffer ultimately if they go full into movies, and I think it's shown already because you just start lacking originality and creativity. Correct. Books spawn creativity yes. and originality yes. because you and I could read the same book mm -hmm. on, say... The same exact thing. Same exact thing. Mm -hmm. 
And yet we would come up with completely different angles on how characters look. Yep. Because you'd be like, I think that character looks like this. But no, nah, I kind of, it looks like this to me. Mm-hmm. Or this town has this type of bit of it. And- that was my problem with um, the shit weasel. Oh, Stephen on, uh, King book. Dreamcatchers? Yeah. Dreamcatchers, yeah. <gasps> because based on his description of the characters, mm-hmm. they had all of the right actors to play the characters. They yeah. just cast them in the wrong roles. In the wrong roles, yeah. Yeah. No, and I'm like, just... my mother and I are looking at each other because I made her read the shit weasel book too. Yeah. And <laughs> I just remember her turning to me. She pulls her glasses down. Shit weasel. <laughs> I go, it's funny, right? <laughs> I, I definitely, I think, I, I think though that, I, I really just wish uh, there's a lot of people reading now, which is cool. Yes. But I wish it was just a bigger deal. I do too. I, I really wish, cause like the wheel of time on Amazon, Ugh. I love that show. Yes. But I told you at yep. the bookstore, I'm not watching another episode of that show until, until I read I've, the books. Yeah. Cause I love how that show's going. I love the direction of mm-hmm. it. But to me, a, a show in a movie, watching it before a book, it, it contaminates your mind on how the book is. Yeah. Like you'll hear a character and you immediately see the character on the screen. You see this, you hear this town or reference name and you, you see the one on the screen. And I think that's, what's missing with people is they, they're not being able to be creative at all. Right. And use that creative part of their mind to envision something and envisioning something's very important because like for goals, and things that you want to go through, this is where Obsessive Frank's going to come out. But, like, goals and things to to do at either your job, mm-hmm. your life, or your relationship, if you don't have the ability to envision that in your mind and of your own, you're at a handicap. Yeah. And I think that really comes from something as simple as books. I will say I'm the opposite. I used to read the book and then watch the movie and mm-hmm. I was forever disappointed because yeah. the the movies never they never they're never as good as no, the it, movie that plays in my mind when I read the book. Yeah, that's your movie, now, that's your when story. I watch it and then I read the books, I don't see the characters or the places from the movie that I watched. I read when I'm reading the book, it's like I'm watching my movie all over again. So I kind of get the best of both worlds. Like I no longer have the horrible disappointment except for the last couple seasons of Game of Thrones, not going to lie. Yeah. Um but I can equally enjoy both. Yeah. And I had to because Hollywood has yet to make an absolutely great version of the secret garden. It's never. Oh yeah. It has never. No, it's it's not going to, it's not going to happen. Yeah. That book was so perfect and so pure. Yeah. And it was so vivid. I can't tell you how many times I've read that book. I loved it. It's an awesome book. And 
to be doesn't matter what year the Secret Garden movie was made. I'm like, yeah, I mean, yeah, that's, that's good. Yeah, yeah, good, but it's never. No, and I, there's there's deep deep stories that I just pray that they'll never become movies yeah. or shows because uh, they're just too deep to even like break into. Yeah, and they never get it right. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, they might get elements of it right, but I think the only book series that was justifiably done in movies, I think, was the Harry Potter ones. I think. Yeah. I think that. And even those, the the people that, the diehards that read the books. The are books like, are, yeah, no, yeah. the books are way better yeah. and, and darker. Mm-hmm. You know, I had to laugh when people, like, especially like the last part one and part two of Deathly Hallows. Yeah. And they're like, wow. I mean, it's in the name. They're, they're telling like, you. No, but I mean, they're like, this is dark. I'm like, then you need to read the books because the yeah. books are, the books get really dark. Uh, and yeah, I mean, you can only smash so much into two hours or three hours, and that's why I like the Lord of the Rings stuff because, I mean, it is four hours, mm-hmm. the extended cuts and yeah. all that, so they can get really into, like, the characters and, and things. And the minutiae. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But at the end of the day, like, Lord of the Rings is a great example. I'm glad I read the book before I saw the movie. Mm-hmm. As good as the movie was. Yeah. And, I mean, it was a, a masterpiece, in my opinion, but the book, oh. Forget yeah. it. Unbelievable. Yeah. And that's, I'm so that's glad. That's how I am about all the books. Yeah, I'm so glad I read that book and The Hobbit, you know, and yeah. all that. Just yeah. read it all a long, long time ago before any of that came out. I think, again, it's my being mediocre yeah. that I have that ability where the movie is the movie, yeah. the book is the book. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the two shall never meet. <laughs> All right, so who is this podcast for again? Bobby Joe. Bobby Joe. After returning briefly to Robinsonville, Johnson settled in Helena, Arkansas, where he played with Elmore James, Robert Nighthawk, and Howlin' Wolf, which is my favorite. I I mean, that name is perfect, among others. He also became involved with Estella Coleman and informally adopted her son, Robert Lockwood Jr., who later became a notable blues musician under the name Robert Jr. Lockwood. Johnson traveled widely throughout Mississippi, Arkansas, Texas, and Tennessee, and as far north as Chicago and New York, playing at house parties, juke joints, and lumber camps, as one does, and on the street. In 1936 to 37, he made a series of recordings in a hotel room in San Antonio, Texas, and a warehouse in Dallas. His repertoire included several blues songs by House and others, but Johnson's original numbers, such as Me and the Devil Blues, Hellhound on My Trail, Sweet Home Chicago, I Believe I'll Dust My Broom, Ramblin' on My Mind, and Love in Vain are his most compelling pieces, unlike the songs of many of his contemporaries, which tended to unspool loosely, employing combinations of traditional and improvised lyrics. Johnson's songs were tightly composed, and his song structure and lyrics were praised by Bob Dylan. Despite the limited number of his recordings, Johnson had a major impact on other musicians, including Muddy Waters, Elmore James, Eric Clapton, And the Rolling Stones. I mean, so it's not like he influenced 
the little guys. Oh, uh, I mean, it just, uh, he influenced a ton of people. Yes. He did become a great blues singer. He spent the rest of his life playing music. In 1938, a music scout in New York listened to Robert Johnson's music and invited him to play a big concert in Carnegie Hall. Unfortunately, by the time the invitation reached Mississippi, Robert Johnson had passed away. He was only 27. So what really happened to uh, his whole thing? Like, how did he die? What's what's going on? Mm-hmm. So they're saying the whole, where did the crossroads thing come from? And they say um, that his songs went down to the crossroads, fell down on my knees, lended some sort of truth to the legend. Yeah. Um, he only had one moderate hit song during his lifetime, Terraplane Blues, but after Columbia Records released a collection of his recordings, King of the Delta Blues in 1961, the man and his music both achieved near-mythic status. Columbia later issued the box set Robert Johnson, the complete recordings, in yeah. 1990. Johnson was inducted into the Blues Hall of Fame in its inaugural class in 1980, and he became a member of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 1986. So... A death certificate recovered by the researcher Gail Dean Wardlow showed that Johnson died on August 16, 1938, at a plantation near Greenwood, Mississippi. The cause was complications due to syphilis, according to a note on the back of the certificate that was attributed to the uh, plantation's owner. But David Honeyboy Edwards, a contemporary of Johnson's, who is believed to have performed with him just days before his death, said that Johnson had been given poisoned whiskey and that he was probably targeted by the vengeful husband of one of his mistresses. The other version of the story is that Robert or Bobby or Bobby Joe hit on the wife of the juke joint's owner. Club owner. And... The club owner gave him the, or had his bartender hand him the mm-hmm. bottle of tainted whiskey, which he consumed in his hotel room and died there. Yeah. So the location of Johnson's grave has never been confirmed. Headstones at three different churches in the Greenwood area claim to mark his resting place. The final riddle of a man whose brief, turbulent life became a cipher nearly as sensational as his songs, and in 2000, a court ruled that Claude Johnson, the child of a girlfriend of Johnson's named Virgie Jane Smith, was legally his son. Mm. So. So. How about them apples? Yeah. I think the, it's, it's a cool story, the crossroads, the devil, and oh. all that. It's, it's a really cool story. Unfortunately, I mean, it's total bullshit. At the end um, of the day, it is just no, that. A you, story. Yeah, it's a story. Yeah. But there's... Um, but, I mean, come on. A story that gives no, this I mean, man a mythos that yeah. is undeniable. But it's implied in his music, too, the mm-hmm. crossroads and all that. Yep. But but also, there's a lot of gospel stuff in his music. Yes. Uh, and people just like to overlook that quickly because well, they made people their... hear what they want to hear. No, exactly. And, and if you listen to it, it really, he'll bring up those kind of crossroad moments in the songs mm-hmm. 
but then it's right back with praying to yep. God and, yeah. you know, the gospel part of it comes mm-hmm. comes through. Uh, I think also there's a bit of association where he made the decision to go from a farmer to being yeah. a blues musician. Yeah. And that's, in a sense, uh, a metaphor for making a deal with the devil. Yeah. Uh, you know, that's, that's interpreted Mm -hmm. in that, in that regard too, especially then, you know, to do something like that where, you know, everybody's farming. That's what everybody does. Cause that's what you do. Yeah. It's just what you do. And then this guy. It's like drop dead gorgeous. It's just what you do. It's just what you do. But that's, uh, yeah, I think that comes in, into play as well. Mm Mm-hmm. And then the whole thing where, yeah, because you hear six months or you hear two to three years. I believe the two to three years thing where he disappeared. Could be. And I think just going around and getting away from home, mm-hmm. you know, and getting away from, from things. Because people do that now. Yeah. They want to be something. He had to go find himself. Well, no, but they want to be something. But yet, you know, this is something that home communities unfortunately do to people. Uh Somebody may want to go in a direction or don't know what kind of direction they want to go in. And then they realize that home's holding them back. Mm-hmm. And it might not even be home holding them back, but they're letting home hold them back. Mm-hmm. Uh, either there's a interpretation of how they want to project, project themselves at home versus if they were somewhere else. And instead mm-hmm. of having the ability to just be themselves and portray themselves the way they want to be, or just go through that discovery process. They have to do that away from home. It's, it's common then it's common today. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's where, yeah, I think it's just no more than he took off to try to find himself. He mm-hmm. did find himself, yeah. came back, came back a music man. He was like, look what I can do. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's the all common story that every musician, artist, or just person trying to find themselves goes through. They take well, off from I town. Well, I mean, heaven forbid you take off for a period of time and you come back doing significantly better oh, no. than you were when you left. No. Clearly, you didn't do that of your own accord. Clearly, the yeah. devil had to have a hand in it. No, and that's where I get back to what I was saying before where people go, oh, I wish I had that talent. Mm-hmm. It's like it's fucking hard work. You hard can do work it and if dedication. You put in the time. Yeah. Just to just embrace your mediocrity. Yeah. And but, just <laughs> suck it up and live with it. But that's where I get where you're in your home area or something like you know, and you'd have people that just they're gonna shoot you down regardless. I think this is what people have to get over yeah. with in life. Everybody wants everybody to like them. Everybody wants this acceptance from everybody. And you're never gonna fucking get that. Yeah, no. You're never gonna get it. You're gonna have people that are just cutting you down. All the time. They're either cutting you down trying to get where you want to go mm-hmm. or they're cutting you down from where you made it to. Right. You know, and you're like, look, look what I did with myself. And they're like, uh-huh, okay. Yeah. You know, and, you know, and they'll come up with bullshit. And the thing is, is that's them. That's their problem. It's right. not your problem. No, it's them. And the moment I, I know this growing up myself, like things in life really started working out great for me. When I realized that I didn't need approval from anybody. No. And and here's the thing with that. 
if someone even doesn't believe in what I'm doing or they say something that's just really out of line and bullshit, I don't care. Yeah. And I'll still be friends with that person. Yeah. I'll still be nice to them because I don't need that validation. Right. From that person. Think about it. Even if they gave you validation, what does it get you? It gets you nothing. nothing. That no. person isn't going to give you anything. No. If you're after validation, say, of someone that's like a mentor right. or something, and that's going towards the goal of what you're going for. But, you know, some person at the fucking grocery store. Who cares? Fuck them. You know. I'll be so bold as my boss put me in my auditing position where I spend all day telling people what they're doing wrong and mm-hmm. what we need. And he goes, I know I'm putting you in a bad position. I know I'm putting you in a position where everybody's going to hate you. And I said to my boss, that would be great if I had feelings or if I cared. I don't care. I mean, at the end of the day, I'm not, I don't take any of that shit personally. Well, no, you do. the job. You do to a certain degree, but you don't carry it with you. No, I do. You'll take it. I mean, like like a day after work and you're decompressing and, and you'll be like, this person let me down or I, you know, yes. this person's doing this just to fucking spite me. And mm-hmm. like, and you get all that out of your chest, but you're not taking it with you. You're not no. carrying it. No. And you're not letting it define who you are or how right, you yeah. are. And there's, I, there's a lot of people right now today that have to learn that. Yes. They have to learn that you can take feedback from somebody mm-hmm. and it can be hurtful. Yeah. And you can let it get to you. Yeah. For a moment. Right. For that moment. Yes. But you got to figure out some way, somehow, to let it go and yes. not carry it. Because, and move on. Because if you keep carrying it, this is what's happening with people now. They're losing their minds. Yes. They're losing their minds terribly because they want this acceptance from everybody. And this goes back to parents saying, well, you can be anything you want. Yeah. You can be, all right, well, I want to be liked by everyone. And it also that's goes, a fucking stupid wish. Yeah. And, and it, that's what parents have to say is, no, that's never going to happen. It's not only the parents, it's reinforced in social media, like yeah. their their friend group, mm-hmm. like, oh, this uh, Instagram, yeah. I got to get the likes or TikTok, I got to yeah. get the likes. No, and but also it's just like, yeah. All right. But, and you feed that endorphin rush. That's a whole different thing mm-hmm. with social. But I remember growing up with my hand tremors. And I'd sit there and be like, man, I wish I could do that. And I remember my parents being like, well, that's going to be really hard with your tremors. Right. Yeah. You know? So they weren't sitting there telling me I can't, but they were telling me that it's going to be a lot harder than anyone else doing that. Right. And, yes. and you know, I remember telling people like stories of that growing up and I'd see some parents just look like, like that was the worst thing that could have ever been told to me. And I was like, no, it was the greatest thing I ever heard. Yeah. You know? And that's also where I also learned that I do have to work harder for things. Right. Like playing guitar. Yeah. I'm going to have someone pick up the guitar and I know they'll get it after six, 10 months or a year of hard work. That's not required for me because I got to figure out, I got to crack the code with my shaky hands. Right. Like I got to. How do I make my hands work for me? For me in these situations on this guitar. Yeah. And that just takes longer. Yeah. And I remember when I was growing up, just like changing. You know. I got an easy solution for you. Yeah, mediocrity. No, you go to a crossroads. <laughs> yeah, and you just wait until midnight. Yeah, and you could say to the yeah man in the black clothes, 
Can you take my tremors away? No, you know what's amazing? I, I hated my tremors for the longest time growing up. Because mm-hmm. I remember when I was growing up and I was a kid, everybody in my family, they didn't know what was wrong with me. Right, yeah. And they were always like, you know, why are you so nervous? Why are you so nervous? And I'm like, I don't know. I don't know why I'm nervous. And so I was going my whole life thinking I was nervous. Right. And then I remember going to school and being around nervous people. And I You're was like, like, yeah, no, that's I was like, not it. I was like, what's wrong with that person? They're like, well, they're just nervous all the time. And I'm like, wait. I'm like, that's what that means? That's what that means? Okay. <laughs> and I'm not I'm, I'm not nervous. It's you know. nay on the nervous <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I'm not nervous. So then I remember going through and then I remembered there was just something wrong. Right. And that's why I started going going up with my parents about it. And we saw a neurologist. We didn't have any kind of money to pursue it. Right. And I remember the doctor saying, yeah, we could treat it, but it could just grow out as yeah. a kid, you know. Outgrow it. And I'm yeah. like, all right, I already know the answer to this question. We're going to let it grow out because we don't have... Uh, God. We don't have that bit. But the number of times a doctor, especially a pediatrician, could yeah. just say to a parent, oh, they'll outgrow it. <laughs> oh, this is some really severe asthma. Yeah, it's fine. But you know what? No. They'll outgrow yeah. it. No, different time, Sometimes man. you do. It was a different Most time. Most of the time you didn't, man. But then I remember reading a book by Michael J. Fox when he got Parkinson's mm-hmm. disease. And uh, it's called Lucky Man. Yes. And I remember reading it. I don't know how I got my hands on the book, but in, I want to say, late high school or maybe maybe even in my 20s. Mm-hmm. And I was reading the book, and he was going through talking about how he started first feeling seeing the signs of Parkinson's. And I want to say it was maybe during the Back to the Future series. Um, but then I think it was like Doc Hollywood he was doing, and he was running. Mm-hmm. Uh, he would run in the morning, and then he realized that uh, he couldn't run as long as he used to. Right. And he just kept getting tired. He's like, and I'd sleep well. Everything yeah. was going good. Like, he's doing all the right things, but yet he's just yeah. getting winded yeah. out and gassed out. And uh, and that's when he started looking into it. But then he had this statement, and it just freaking, like, hit me like a ton of bricks. And he said, you know, if I were to have life... With Parkinson's or without Parkinson's, he says, I would take it with every time. I'd take the Parkinson's every time because it taught him all these things that he would have never have known doing anything else. Right, yes. So, like, my obsession and my patience with things and drive Mm -hmm. is from the tremors Mm -hmm. because I remember being a kid and, like, say, switching a light bulb out of a lamp and, like, I'd screw the top of the lamp you know, to get yep. the screw out and I'd lift the lampshade and I'd go in to get my hands into, well, you see it with me. I'm, I drop stuff all, all the, the fucking time. time. Mm-hmm. I drop it constantly. And it, and the thing is my tremors are nowhere near as bad as what they used to be. Right. Like, you know, we had to have plastic cups all the time and like I had to eat with a spoon cause I couldn't do it with a fork cause like peas and stuff would roll off of it and all that. Yeah. It was frustrating. Yeah. But then I realized, like, all right, this is what I got. So I just would realize it's going to take me longer to eat. Right. Or to change this light bulb. Thread a needle? Holy cow. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Like, I would watch somebody just come right up and just, like, you know, and put a, it would take me five minutes to thread a needle. And then, like, be careful to make a stitch and not stab myself eight million times. You know, so I just was always slow, methodical. 
And I mean, look at me. That's what I am. Methodical. Yes. And it's because of the tremor. But methodical got me a long way in life. It did. It got me a a lot of great things and a lot of great. Got you me. I got (laughs) mediocre out of it, too. Mediocrity. Yeah. Right here. But that's where, uh, yeah, those choices you make and those things you have. But, like, yeah, my parents saying, like, yeah, no, that's going to be harder for you. Right. Everything was harder in that regard. Mm -hmm. And here's the thing. I was jaded about it for a little bit, but then I remembered, like, just seeing how much patience I had. Like, computers was really, like, a gift for me. Because mm-hmm. I could just sit there and, like, try to figure this out and that out. Right, and, yeah. And just the patience and and uh, and troubleshooting and mm-hmm. fixing things. And, and it just worked well to my advantage of this skill set I acquired through, mm-hmm. for lack of a better term, disability. Right. And... And you can have a chip on your, I could have had a chip on my shoulder and just been, you know, like, fuck the world. Nobody wants to fucking deal with me, blah, blah, blah. Fuck you and all that. But you just take what you got and, and you roll with it and turn it into a strength. Mm -hmm. And you can turn any kind of stuff like that into a strength. If you have hardship in your life, you can turn that into a strength because someone who's got it easy doesn't know how that feels. No. And when they leave, they're nice little easy cushioned area and go into a real situation. Yeah. It gets hard for them yeah. and they just panic. That's, that's my thoughts on that. That's all she wrote. It's my thoughts on that. <laughs> no, but that's a, is that your thought you that you sat down and you wrote? Yeah. It's in my notes right here. Paraphrasing. No, no, that, I think that's the cool, cool thing with like the Robert Johnson story is like, yeah, you can just kind of, you can take that chance. And he I think did. that's the whole he thing. He took the that, chance on himself every yeah, single day. Yeah. He took the chance and he, and he went and tried to do what he, what he wanted to do. Right. At least that's the cool story I'd like to keep with it. Yeah. I'm, I'm cool with that. Yeah. However, episode 85 next week. Yeah. We got a, we got a doozy guys. Yeah. I'm kind of jazzed about it. I am. Okay. I've, I've always thought, I was uh, really hoping you were going to be as jazzed. I've always been uh, interested in this uh, this topic. I've read a lot about it. I've, I've watched a ton of YouTube videos over the years. It, this was one of those stories where I got to see it kind of start and get momentum. You got to watch it unfold. To a certain degree, yeah. 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 And, uh, and it's just, it's amazing. It's yeah. really amazing. It's the Lizard and Illuminati. Yes. So apparently, for those that aren't in the clue with this, there is a large group of people. Yes. I don't want to say small. It's not a breakout sect. No. It's, there is a large group of people that think there's a higher chain of, of or basically an elite, an elite ruling class that's running the world and they're... Lizards. They're lizards, basically, like lizard aliens. Yes. Yep. Think politicians in power. Yeah. World leaders. World leaders. Pop stars. The leaders of leaders, you know, like this. uh, Yeah. Yeah. The Illuminati, basically. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah, I can't wait to get into it (laughs) because I remember we talked about it a while back and I just... uh, yeah, there's there's a um, there's a popular person that leads it, yes, and has has led it, but 
but I do believe, and this is where I'm digging up on, uh, I'm fairly certain it started even before that person. Like that person gets a lot of credit for it going. Um, And then there's a group that gets some credit for it going as well. But it was an idea even before that. Yeah, it's Uh, been around a long time. It's been around a long time. And that's what I think a lot of people don't know is actually how long it's been around. And that's Mm -hmm. what I love about doing what we do is we get these opportunities to get into things. And you're like, you know, this weird shit. Guess what? It's been, it's been here forever. <laughs> yeah. And that was the real joy of doing the earlier shows. Yeah. With vampires and werewolves and, and things Holy like that. Shit. Like long, long time ago. Mm-hmm. It wasn't a Hollywood Mm-mm. thing or it wasn't something that was in the last fifty to a hundred no. years. You know, long, long time long ago. Long ass time. Basic human beings dealing with complex problems. And yeah. making complex answers and solutions for them. Pretty much. <laughs> but yeah, so the Lizard Illuminati next week. As always, if you uh, have a recommendation or a wish for a topic yeah. for us to cover, you can email Something us. Something you want us to cover? Email us at oth at seriouslydecent.com. We thank you so much for uh, tuning in lately. Like I said, yes. the, the nice organic bump we've seen. That'd be nice. Uh, it's always hey, a pleasure. you guys, I don't know if you're creative, but if you are, mm. we would love to have a review in the form of a haiku. A, no, a Notre Dame haiku. Nostradamus, you can, your very own prophecy. Yes. We are, uh, we are very encouraging of that. And this is the last week we're going to promote such an idea. Yeah. I don't, I'm checking real quick, but I don't think we got it. No prophecies. And I tell people, yeah, I tell people if you if you do wanna, if you do do it, email it uh, to us at oth at seriouslydecent.com because I can't check all of our right platform all of the providers because yeah. we're on all of them. I don't have that kind of time. <laughs> so rule number one: no Ouija boards. Number two: no dolls. Three: no capes. No blood rituals. No. No cults. No. Satanic or otherwise. No. No apathy. You've got to act to help enact a positive change in this world. Mm -hmm. Even if it's something as simple as just making better choices. Yeah. Should we let black-eyed children in? No. And you shouldn't give the fuckers anything they're asking you for either. You don't give them nothing. No ketchup on the wrap. No hablo inglés. <laughs> and last, just listen. Just listen. If he's if you've been listening today, thanks. <laughs> this one went off rails. Sorry, not sorry. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I'm not sorry for anything. No. Have a wonderful day, a lovely week, and make good choices. Take care. <laughs>